Welcome to Divine Downloads. I'm your host, Cassandra Bodzak, and this is the show where we help make the vision you have for your life into your reality. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Julie Ryan, who is a medical intuitive and the author of the book, Angelic Attendance, which goes through the 12 different steps our soul takes when leaving our physical body. Um, It is a fascinating book that really brought me so much comfort and really just rung so true on a soul level um, after my grandma passed away. And I can't wait to unpack it all with you and for you to hear this interview. I think it's so juicy. I want to let you know the first 19 minutes we talk more about um, her being a medical intuitive and she gives me a mini medical intuitive reading. And if you want to skip to the 12 stages of transition, just skip to that 19 minute mark and that's where we really dive into those 12 phases of passing from our physical body. So enjoy! I am so excited to have you on, Julie. And, you know, as the listeners already heard in the intro, you are just an all around magical woman and you just have so many talents and skills. And what really called me to have you on the show was reading your book, Angelic Attendance. But there's so much more I honestly find fascinating about you because I love that you're a full on like entrepreneur, business owner, and then you're also a psychic and a medical intuitive and and an author. And you have all of these different gifts that I feel are obvious, they're they're interrelated. in the psychic world, right? And and so I think, you know, I don't want to jump off on that because I really want to get into angelic attendance and talking about just I was blown away by what you what you've seen, what you've experienced in the the stages of us transitioning. Um, but before we close the show, I definitely want to ask you a little bit about being a multi-passionate um, badass pretty much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That's the best compliment I've gotten all day. I love that one. That's great. Um, so, so Angelic Attendance um, is Julie's book, and it really is about what happens, the stages of transitioning when we leave our physical body. And, but, but I think before this book, was born and this experience happened you were a medic you started as a medical intuitive is that correct i did about 30 years ago a girlfriend gave me a book called anatomy of the spirit by carolyn mace Mm -hmm. and she called herself a medical intuitive well i've been in the hospital supply industry i was for 30 years and i'm an inventor of surgical devices sold throughout the world and i manufactured them i sold my manufacturing company in 2015. So I thought, medical intuitive, what the heck is that? I'd never heard that term before. And I went to the bookstore because we didn't have the internet yet. So I did the old fashioned thing. And I went to a Barnes and Noble to see if there was something else more out there available, something more available about what what's a medical intuitive and how does it work? Because I was interested in medical stuff, medical on the supply side of the equation, helping people heal with devices and helping helping medical professionals help people heal in the hospitals. So I got to the bookstore and I found this book, Cassandra, called Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan. And Barbara Brennan, for those of you that don't know, is a former NASA physicist who parlayed very complex quantum physics principles into understandable languaging for the non-scientific mind. That would be me. And she talked about using energy to help facilitate healing. Well, this book was written 40 some years ago and I read it. And of course I wanted to know more. So I called her school and I said, do you have anybody in my area teaching this stuff? Sure sure enough, they did. They had a graduate and I started studying with her 30 years ago and took a a fairly intense curriculum for about six years while I was being a wife and a mom and a businesswoman (laughs) and, you know, all that other stuff, fixing dinner, folding laundry, the regular (laughs) stuff that we all do. And, and And then it led me 
to where I am now, where I do this pretty much full time. When I sold my company and my manufacturing company in 2015, I thought, all right, what's the next adventure? And here we are. Wow. And so one, I was curious, are you willing to give me a mini medical intuitive reading on the air? Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I sure. think it'd be cool to ex- like for other people to experience like, what is that sure. like? And to get some, like, I can ask you some yeah. questions maybe while we do it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let me explain how it works. Yeah. Perfect. I learned how to do all this stuff. I tell people I'm a businesswoman who learned how to do woo woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. I can scan people medically, facilitate energetic healings. We can talk to your dead grandma. We can talk to your pet, either alive or deceased. We can do past life stuff. We can talk to spirit guides, <laughs> angels. I can tell how close to death somebody is. I just got <laughs> off the phone with a client in New York, no, in Boston, whose mother is dying in Toronto. So I was able to scan the mom and say, okay, she's in phase seven of the 12 phases of transition. They're going up in a couple of days. They wanted to know if she was starting to transition. They thought she was, and she was. And so I do all this remotely. I close my eyes. I raise my vibrational level to the level of spirit because we're all spirits attached to a body having a human experience. And when we're attached to a body, Cassandra, we vibrate more slowly simply because the body has mass. So I raise my vibrational level. I watch it. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to watch a laser beam come from my body here in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's going to hook into you. You're in Orange County, right? You're in Costa yeah. Mesa. Okay. Yeah. In, in Orange County. And then I'm going to have a hologram of you in my mind's eye. I'm, I'm like a human MRI. And then something will be identified and then there'll be a healing that will occur. So I'll describe all of it to you. Now, one caveat, I talk in analogies a lot. And my analogies sometimes are really hilarious. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I may tell you your elbow looks like whipped cream or something <laughs> like that, but it's just to give us a hum- uh, our human minds a frame of reference for this woo-woo stuff that we're talking about. And, and so that ends up being fun. Is there something in particular you want me to check? Are you having a symptom of something? Um, yeah, I've been feeling kind of generally like nothing, it's nothing super crazy, but just generally like kind of fatigued and like blah, like I described as like a lack of, of energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know, fire, I would say lack of fire. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels like, um, yeah. So I guess maybe, maybe that there's anything that's doing with that, but before we get into it, can I ask you one other question about the process? Sure. Yeah. Is is this something that as you, because you were saying how you, you, I, I believe I'm going to use my words, I'm going to put words in your mouth. I feel like you were called to this. You were drawn to investigate this further. And then you started studying the process that you have right now and how you're able to raise your vibration and see this hologram and, and kind of see what's going on. Was that something that took like practice over and over again to get it as clear as you have it or was it something that like once you plugged into it it just kind of became how your experience of it was great question I talk about what my process was of developing all these skill sets again they're all learned we all have the ability it's just a matter of developing and enhancing them and actually I have trainings that I teach people from all walks of life to do this and you hit on the key point And I think it's not just with this, it's with everything. We can read something, we can hear something, we can study something. Until we put it into practice, it doesn't really integrate. And so I'm very, very convinced after lots of working with lots of people to help train them to do this. And we do it in four weeks. We do it in four Saturdays, a few hours on four Saturdays now. So fast forward 40 years. The techniques I've come up with a system. I'm an inventor. That's what I do. <laughs> I'll put the so, link for all of this below, guys. I know yeah, everyone's yeah. going to be like, I want to check this out. Yeah. <laughs> so askjulieryan.com, you'll find it. And I've got an online training that we just started. And then I've got an in, in person via Zoom training that I do quarterly, but I limit it to 12 people because there's a practicum part that we do live for 12 people. So in both of those trainings, There are practice groups, multiple ones that are held each week. 
so that the practicing can happen. And that's when people really see their skills start to take off. So in my training, it's more about the transfer of energy at a super high level of a vibration from me to my students, whether they're doing it in the self-paced study or the live one. And I'm not really persnickety about technique because I want the abilities to come in and I want you to do them in a way that's going to be natural and free flowing for you. Just like some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. Some people are kinesthetic learners. It, back in the old days, it used to be like, even when I was in school, if somebody was a left-handed person, sometimes teachers would make them write with their right hand. Well, who cares? <laughs> they're writing with their left hand. You know, I mean, that never made sense to me. Yeah. And, and so similarly, I want those intuitive abilities that we all have. I want the, them to develop and then manifest in ways that it's just like, you know, rolling out of bed for you. Super yeah. easy. Does that answer your question? I, yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. And I believe that too. I, you know, I guide a lot of my clients in like meditation and different rituals and practices and stuff I do and I'm always like okay that's kind of like you go take it and like make it your own and and see what resonates with you like for me I love seeing like you know the ball of light in my heart and watching it expand and get bigger and bigger but I'm like if that visual is like not your jam like find what it is like find what helps you plug in exactly. so I'm a big proponent okay let's dive in let's see where the whipped cream is now all right so <laughs> Here comes my laser beam from Sweet Home, Alabama, heading to you in Orange County. And I've been in LA for a long time. So I know you're right up the 405. I know <laughs> Orange County. So here we go. I close my eyes because it helps me see better in my mind's eye with that. All right. I'm hooked into you. I'm shooting energy from your feet up through the top of your head. You you look staticky. You look like a a TV screen that's malfunctioning, that snow mm. that'll get on the TV screen. So what I'm doing is I'm grounding you first. You live in Orange County, go walk on the beach, put your bare feet in the, in the sand or in grass or on, on cement to ground. You need to be grounded. That's the first thing that I'm seeing. All right. So something's identified. There's a healing. Something else will be identified. There, there will be a healing. The healings can take the form, Cassandra, of something getting added, something getting removed. You're being grounded right now as we mm. talk. Sometimes I see healings that emulate what I saw in operating rooms for 30 years, in and out of surgeries, developing products, testing prototypes, training surgeons and reps and stuff like that. Sometimes I see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. But the bottom line is the healing will occur on the energetic level, and then it will integrate into your body. Wow. That can happen instantly. It can take days, weeks, months. It may need some kind of complementary care, like go for a walk on the beach and get your bare feet in the sand because it's happening on the, on the energetic level to integrate it into your body fully. You need to do something from the human side of yeah. the equation. And certainly it's always our spirit's prerogative to utilize the healing in a way that's going to be going to best facilitate whatever it is we're exploring in this lifetime. And that includes not integrating the healing. It's all our free will. And that goes with any kind of medical thing. You know, no, no medical provider, no doctor or other medical provider heals anybody else. We all heal ourselves yeah. at the end of a surgery, they're going to, or you go to the emergency room with a cut and you're getting stitches. Well, the doctor doesn't make your, your skin grow back. You make your own skin grow back. Yeah. And that's how this works too. So I'm shooting energy through you again. Um, have you, have you had, um, any kind of medicine lately? Did you get the COVID shots? What's up? What's with that? Anything along those lines? Um, I, I did get the vaccine. Um, okay. yeah, but no other medicine. Okay. All right. So what I'm doing is I'm going to remove a lot of the, the toxins that came with that. I think that's, what's making you tired and uh. you feel lethargic. So heavy metal detox first, there's imagine two U shaped metal, big magnets are joined in the middle 
around your body. They're going up and down your body and they're pulling out metallic particulates. They turn a quarter of a turn. They're in front and behind you pulling out metallic particulates. They're going to go all the way around you. Again, another quarter of a turn, another quarter of a turn, pulling that out. All right. Next thing that's happening is we're going to restore your DNA back to pre-shot status because the mRNA in the, in the shots, they're finding it keeps people in an immune response, mm. a heightened immune response. And so we, we don't want that. So we're going to get it back. So I watch DNA healings all the time, Cassandra, they are so cool because what DNA is a recipe that tells the cells how to behave. And it's comprised of four nucleic acids and they are represented by four letters, A, T, C, G. One strand can have a hundred thousand letters on it, can have a billion letters. I'm watching them get rearranged. I'm watching them get resequenced. So imagine the strand looks like a piece of paper you'd find inside a fortune cookie with a fortune written on it. And then those letters are, are being rearranged. Have you ever played Scrabble? Yes. Yeah. You know how you'll move a letter up and yeah. over to form a word? Imagine that in warp speed. So you have four strands of DNA that are being resequenced. When they're resequenced, they snap back into an X chromosome and then the X chromosome will go back into your body. So one and two have been done. Three and four are being resequenced. Three just went back in. Four just went back in. All right. Now I've got you surrounded by infrared light. That's pulling out any other kinds of toxins that we don't want in there and doing that and then shooting energy from your feet up through the top of your head again and you kind of look like the north star or a mm -hmm. supernova yeah so uh, you're very you're you're brilliant wow uh, wow yeah. so that'll help you need to ground that's yeah. the big thing ground awesome wow that's so cool and also you know just uh for the listeners out there, it's kind of amazing the metaphor that she used around the static because I had talked to a couple of my um, girlfriends about kind of how I was feeling this week. And I kept on using these like kind of interesting language. I always catch myself when I'm using language I don't normally use um, uh, around like a disturbance or like a, like almost like I was describing it like almost like a, an electronic or radio frequency yeah. was like out of, you know, in discord and whatnot. And that's kind of what, you know, for me, it's like when, when something like that happens, I always find it interesting when I'm describing it in a random way that it wouldn't normally be, you know, not just like, Oh, I'm tired or, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, there's like a disturbance in the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that really resonated with me, the feeling of the static and the, the, releasing and and I had also um it had crossed my mind too because I've done some heavy metal detoxing before I had um mold in my house a few years ago and I did a bunch of cleansing and and that's actually one of the first times I went to a medical intuitive um was around that because so many conventional doctors just looked at me like I was nuts and I was like I know something's wrong uh, <laughs> but that was that was wonderful so how did you transition or sometimes how does it happen right where were you just tapping in from a medical perspective to help someone heal I think I remember this story from the book actually and then you started noticing that they were actually in the transition stages is that kind of how you first kind of opened up to these different transition stages that we go through no I saw it for the first time with my own mother in 2002 when she was dying and I was doing the medical thing for family and friends on the side. I mean, certainly I wasn't doing it full time. And my mother was dying in another state and we got a call. And so we drove all night, my husband and my son was 10 at the time. And I and drove nine hours through the night to get to her because I was looking at flights. Well, we couldn't get there until the end of the following day. And I I, I didn't know anything about the 12 phases of transition at the time. So we got, she was in a hospice facility. She then moved from the hospital to a hospice facility. And 
And she got there and the nurses uh, kept saying, well, she's hydrated. She's coming from the hospital. She's probably going to last a couple of weeks. So buckle in. And I thought, okay, we believed them. And so I just for kicks turned my radar on because I turn it on and off at will. I don't walk around scanning people or talking That would be very people. distracting, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine being in a crowd of people and going, oh, your dead grandma's here. And oh, by the way, you have mono and you have whatever. So, uh, so I turned on my radar, which takes a nanosecond. And I, and I started seeing all these different phases, what I know now of transition. And I thought, whoa, this is going to be interesting. And it, and it was such an interesting dichotomy too, Cassandra, because here I am grieving the inevitable loss of my mother at the end of her life. And I'm seeing all this woo-woo stuff that's just incredible. My grandmother, who had died six months prior, six weeks shy of 100, mind you, was there. And she was running the show from the spirit world. There were angels in the room. There were other deceased loved ones and friends that I hadn't seen of. In some cases, I hadn't thought of in decades. And I thought, whoa. And then when our are uh, when the spirits of deceased pets showed up, <laughs> the dogs that we'd had when I was growing up as a kid. And I'm thinking, oh my God, Ryan, you can't be <gasps> It was just wild. And, and as she got closer and closer to, to dying and to leaving, the scene was changing. And the nurses kept saying, well, she's going to be here for a long time. And I said, yeah, I don't think so. So I spent the night with her. And she, the rest of the family left and they all went home and they believed the nurses. And I was saying, yeah, based on what I'm seeing, I don't think so. And she died at five o'clock the next morning. Wow. So, you know, that two week thing was not accurate at all. And, And it was really a glorious scene. I mean, there were angels and deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets in the room. And it, I found it so interesting that there is a glorious component to the dying process. Anybody that's had a near-death experience talks about that. But I was actually witnessing it and, and was there. And she passed 10 minutes before the rest of my family arrived. But I was there and she knew I was there. And, and it, it, we all decide when we go, where we go, how we go, who's with us or not when we go. And what the circumstances are, whether we die instantly in the case of a homicide or suicide, or whether we die over a prolonged period of time, doesn't matter. Talk to any funeral director. They have limitless stories about the family sat with grandma and Aunt Susie was on duty and she left the room for three minutes to go get a cup of coffee. And while she was gone, grandma died while she was alone and Susie was out of the room. And you want to say, grandma, what's up with that? Grandma wanted to check out by herself. I mean, there's so much, so much I want to talk about there. The the impetus of what kind of drew me to uh, your book was my grandma actually passed in January 2021. And I've, I've, you know, have been on a spiritual path and a spiritual journey way before then. But I wasn't able, because of COVID, I wasn't able to be in the hospital with her. And so I kind of meditated through her transition um, process and had a pretty beautiful experience myself. That was interesting. And then after that, I just dove into reading everything I could about near-death experience, like the transition, like anything I could get my hands on. Um, and I found your, I actually, it's funny cause I was going to grab it for our interview today. And I realized I actually already passed it on because I, I read it like a while ago, Angelica attendance, she's holding it. And I read it like in like warp speed. I just like sucked it up. And then my, one of my close friends had a, her father passed and I was like, you need this book. Like you need to like, just read it when you're ready. But like, this is what you need because the way you describe, and I want you to in your best spark notes version, I guess, cause it's, I know it's a lengthy process, but the way you describe all the different steps of the transition, it is such a glorious, beautiful process that 
I think on one, le one level does bring a ton of peace for those grieving. And then also what you just talked about of like this knowingness of that person gets to decide. And it was really interesting and oh, interesting thing that happened that kind of hit me when I was reading that in your book um, was that my grandma, um, they had told me I couldn't come, I couldn't come, I couldn't come, whatnot. Cause I'm also, they are in New Jersey. So I was gonna fly from California and they're like, absolutely not after being on a plane. Like you're nowhere getting near um, here. And, and then I had had this thought, I had been talking to her um, you know, via the, the FaceTime and, and whatnot with her nurses and stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm going to book a flight for the next day, fly there. I looked at the hotel. I was like, there's a hotel I can stay at. I'll get a COVID test. I'll just hang out, see what happens. And I have a feeling if I do it, they'll let me in if like, you know, because she seemed like she, it was like, she could be getting better or whatnot. But I was like, I just want to, I'm just going to roll the dice and was over listening to them deny me. And I just had this intuition, this feeling. So that was maybe I was on a run at like 7 p.m. at night, right? So I was like, I'm supposed to, she was too tired that night to talk to me. And so I was like, I'm going to call her in the morning. We had a breakfast FaceTime date. And depending on how that goes, I'm going to fly home. And um, I, she didn't want to talk to me that night, but I sent a, a letter for her nurse to read to her because she was too tired to talk. And um, the next morning I woke up at 5 a.m. to them saying like, you can FaceTime and say goodbye because she's going right now. And um, that, that part of me felt like on one level, maybe I kind of knew that she was going to pass. And then also maybe a part of her was like, I didn't want me to fly and be there, you know, and wanted to, to have that experience that we did. But anyway, <laughs> that, that brought me a lot of peace to get to know, to kind of know that people have that choice and um, know kind of if they want to cling or if they want to go and, and they have that executive kind of decision. Well, and it, it's hard for people to understand, especially in the case of a sudden death, a suicide or a homicide or somebody that dies in their sleep very unexpectedly. My, one of my um, gals that works with me lost her father very suddenly a couple of weeks ago and he died in his sleep and she's, they're, they're just all still in shock and they don't understand why would he choose to do that? And I said, well, it was quick. It was easy. He died in his sleep. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. He's still around you. We can talk to him anytime and all of that. And suicide, same thing. It's really hard to understand why somebody would choose to do that, but it's quick. It's easy. Tough on the people left behind. We don't know what a person's spirit comes in to explore in this lifetime. We don't know what their past lives were perhaps in the case of a suicide, they were the parent of, the sibling of, the spouse of, the friend of, the whatever of. In this round, they wanted to explore the perspective from the person who actually ends their life in that manner. And what I've been told, Cassandra, over and over again by spirit with all these years that I've been doing this is there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad in the spirit world. It's just an experience we judge things as right or wrong, good or bad. And we need to, because we create out of the contrast when we know what we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. But in heaven, using air quotes, in heaven, everything's just neutral. Everything's good. It's just all an experience. The other thing I think that's important to remember too is that time doesn't exist in the spirit world. Time is a human creation. So perhaps somebody that dies very suddenly and the person who takes days, weeks, months, even years to pass, it's not, it's not even a blip on the radar screen in either situation. So it's been my experience that everybody goes through these 12 phases of transition, 
they're surrounded by angels. They're surrounded by deceased loved ones. They're surrounded by their deceased pets. And so nobody dies alone. And it's important to remember that, especially for people like you who couldn't be with your loved one for extenuating circumstances with COVID or with whatever. You're on the other side of the country. If, this, if there was a bad storm and your plane was canceled, your flight was canceled, whatever, that nobody dies alone. And that gives people a lot of comfort when they do that, when they really understand that that's the case as well. They're surrounded by angels and, you know, and all these other spirits that are, I call them the welcome to heaven committee. (laughs) I love, can we, can we talk a little bit about the welcome to heaven committee and, and what do these stages look like? Yeah. When somebody's dying, the spirit exits the body through the top of the head, hangs onto the top of the head, looks like a speech bubble or a cartoon caption bubble where the cartoon characters, words or thoughts are. And then the first person to show up is the closest maternal relative who's passed. In my mother's case, it was my maternal grandmother. Had she still been alive, it would have been her mother. It's always on the maternal line. And then the paternal spirit shows up again, always on the maternal line. So in my mother's case, it was her father. Had he still been alive, it would have been her mother's father. It would have been her maternal grandfather. So it's always on the maternal line, which I find interesting. Yeah. 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 But I believe that that has a lot to do with certain cultures that believe like, for instance, in the Jewish tradition, children are not Jewish unless they're born by a Jewish mother. They're not considered to be Jewish. And I have friends who converted to Judaism who were Gentiles. They were Christians and they converted to Judaism because they wanted to raise the children Jewish. Well, that's an ancient culture. And there's something to that with this maternal line thing. In the case of somebody who's adopted, it's the mother that raises them. So it would be the adopted mother. It would be the adopted mother's mother or grandmother that would be running the show from the spirit world. That surprised me. I really thought there'd be some angel or God be up. God was like at some switchboard or something going, okay, you can come now. You need to, you know, wait a little bit, whatever. <laughs> I feel like God was running air traffic control, heaven, you know? <laughs> But no, it's the maternal spirit that really runs the show, calls in the angels, calls in the other deceased loved ones and all of that. So my grandmother, she was like an eagle. She didn't pay any attention to any of us that were there, that were in the room. And and I was her favorite. (laughs) My family will tell you. I'm named for her. I was always her favorite. She didn't even look at me. She couldn't. She was just laser focused on her daughter, on my mother. Wow. So that was fun. So that, so then that's phase one, two, the parents show up phase three, the angels start arriving and they form a circle with the parents, spirits or grandparents, whatever that are anchoring at the dying person's feet. Let's say for this example, the dying person is in a bed. So at the dying person's feet. Now these angels look like big old angels with big old wings, white gown, barefoot, rope (laughs) tied at the waist. Is that what angels really look like? That's what they look like to me because I went through 12 years of Catholic schools and I was taught that's what angels look like from the statuary and the paintings and the depictions of angels. Certainly somebody who grew up in an indigenous culture and say in the middle of the Amazon, they may see angel energy as just like a blob of purple energy or something. Yeah, it's It's really just energy that you're interpreting. Exactly. And we're always going to interpret from spirit in a way that it's going to make sense to us based on our personal frame of reference. So angels show up as the person gets closer to death, that, that circle of angels starts to open up into a horseshoe. Eventually, it's a straight line across the foot of the bed. And during that time, many other spirits arrive. And that's what I call the Welcome to Heaven Committee. And they, the angels in the straight line end up being the line of demarcation. I, I say it's angelic crowd control because they're like the line of demarcation. You know, in a football game, 
when, especially at college or a high school, college games primarily, where they'll have the fields surrounded in police and they're going to try and keep the 100,000 fans from rushing the field when their team wins. Yeah, good luck with that. Never works. I don't know why they bother. But that's what it reminds me of is, is angelic crowd control. So that happens. And then a, a couple of other nuances start to take place around, around phase five. Again, the spirit bubble that's hooked onto the top of the head. There are extra angels that show up on either side of the spirit bubble. And about phase nine, when that happened with my mother, I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. What the wonder what they're going to do. I knew there was some reason they were there and they were going to facilitate her departure, but I didn't know how. And about phase nine, their wings, the two angels on either side of the spirit bubble, their wings start to move. And it's very slow, rhythmic movement. Reminds me of a giant owl. You know, it's almost like you watch an owl fly. They're silent, but you can almost feel the drag. And I thought, okay, mm, it's going to be interesting. What, what happened was with that movement, they formed a vortex above my mother's head. And that eventually was what helped her separate her spirit from her body when she actually died, when she transitioned. But as that was happening, Cassandra, it felt like an upward pull to me. It reminded me of being in the car wash when you get to the end and they turn the dryers on and it's sucking all the water up off your car. You know, you yeah. can hear it and you can feel it and you can watch everything being sucked up. That's what it reminded me of. Wow. Yeah. So when I was writing Angelic Attendance, I was led to just google giant owl wings vortex <laughs> come to find out there's this thing called the wingtip vortex which is a an aeronautical engineering phenomenon that happens with everything that flies every jet every plane every kite every glider every bird every bug and it's vortices that form underneath the wings and it causes the upward lift Wow. And I thought, okay, I love it when science catches up with woo-woo. And you can you can do an internet search on that. And it's unlimited drawings and unlimited articles and diagrams and stuff like that on the wingtip vortex, ask any pilot. So I thought it was fascinating that there was a spiritual thing happening with these angels that was causing a physical phenomena that I could feel and hear and see that was helping my mother's spirit separate from her body at the end of her life that is just and also just incredible because if you think about the imagery that we've had you know for years kind of around the transition process a lot of it is this imagery of almost like going up into a vacuum of sorts and having angels with you good point you know it's so it's like um it almost is like, you know, civilizations throughout time, you know, may have tapped into parts of what was going on here. And that that's, that's wild. That's absolutely wild. Well, to your point about that, at the end of every Roman Catholic funeral is a prayer that said called in paradisum. And in Latin, it's into paradise. And it talks about how the angels and your deceased loved ones will greet you and lead you into paradise. And I thought, holy smokes, that's what I'm seeing. And it, and it really hit me at my mother's funeral. I thought, oh my goodness, that's what I saw happen. So I researched it and I learned that it originated, that prayer originated as a fifth century Gregorian chant. Oh, well, wow. perhaps it took till the fifth century till someone was learned enough to be able to read and write. And certainly some of the most well-educated people back then were men living in monasteries and synagogues. And they wrote that prayer down that fast forward all these centuries is said now as part of the funeral ritual in that religion anyways. And, and it's been talked about in literature since the beginning of time. There's all kinds of references. And interestingly enough, with science catching up with woo-woo, there has been university-based research showing on 
thousands of patients at the end of their life showing that 90% of them see the spirits of deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets, either in dreams or visions at the end of their life. So I love it when science is catching up with this knowingness. It resonates with people when they hear this stuff because they, they know it. They've witnessed it in past lives and their family has witnessed it. And it, and it goes way beyond just, we thought grandma was hallucinating when she was talking about seeing her mother who'd been dead for 50 years. No, grandma yeah. wasn't hallucinating. She really could see her. Did your grandmother mention being able to see anybody or sometimes they'll reach up. Sometimes they'll stare like in a corner of the room. And sometimes they'll talk about, um, they'll have conversations or they'll they'll say, oh, I, my mother came to me in a dream and said, she's waiting for me. Or did you experience any of that with your grandmother? Well, the one thing that I did when I was, when I did my, my final FaceTime with her, I obviously, I unfortunately didn't get to observe her too much. Um, but when I did my final FaceTime with her, um, she had a, like a BiPAP mask on and my mom had like prepped me and said, you know, she really hasn't been that responsive or whatnot, but the BiPAP map was clear. So I was like, no. And I like started, you know, talking to her and me and my grandma actually in the family, like we would talk about angels and we would talk about like miracles. And, you know, she was like my person that like really got all this stuff that I would, you know, tell all my experiences and stuff. And, um, she really believed it and she would communicate with her angels and all that stuff. And I remember at the, she mouthed, I love you to me through the the thing. And cause that's pretty much what I was saying. I was like, I could tell you everything. You already know, you already know it all because you know how much I love you and you know how much you meant to me. But then I say, grandma, can you see the angels all around you? And she started shaking her head. And I was like, aren't they beautiful? And she started shaking her head. And, um, and, you know, to me, like, I, I really believe that she did. And um, that, you know, there was, there was one thing that happened that was kind of weird that I kind of heard secondhand from my mother is that she had kind of like a weird, like, mood thing that happened where she started kind of talking um, to my mom in a way that didn't really make sense to her. And was like saying this stuff and and, it, and like my mom was like, I don't know, it's like not, doesn't even seem like how your grandma would ever talk to me. I don't know what's going on. So I don't know if she was like interacting with something else or, or someone else that, you know, I don't know if she was cleared up something with, <laughs> but um, that was an interesting thing that happened before. And then what happened for me when I was, so after I said goodbye, they, um, they put her on morphine and kind of let her because she wasn't able to breathe. She was having trouble like with her heart and her lungs on their own, on her own. And um, I went and just meditated and I was like, I'm just gonna meditate until I get the call that she's gone. And when I was meditating, I felt, I felt my hands move up. And for like all of them, like my hands were like this. And I felt like, I, 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 and again, it's like, I don't know if it was just because I was already so connected to that or what, you know, what it was, but I felt angels kind of lifting her body up yeah. and like lifting it up and lifting it up. And, and then it got to, it got beyond obviously my hands being helpful. Cause I wanted to like, you know, and then my hands just like instantly it went from them feeling like they were like electrocuted up, just like fell down. Yeah. And then I felt her and all I heard after I felt like her go up, all I heard, I'm going to like cry saying this, is I just heard her voice saying to me, yes, it's even better than we imagined. <laughs> and, and I just remember like being like, what? And then like, I woke up, I opened my eyes and my mom um, called just a few minutes later and said that she had passed. So she was going up through that vortex and most NDEers report going through a tunnel or going through like a vortex that they do. And what happens is the spirit, 
I was taught that the spirit is, I use spirit, soul, same thing. It's semantics. Yeah. I was taught that the spirit is someplace in the chest area. Mm. That's not what I perceive. What I perceive is that the spirit's the main part of us and the body is inside the spirit. Ooh. Yeah. And if you look at paintings since the beginning of time, when somebody who's a religious figure is, is painted or portrayed, what they have a halo around them, right? Yeah. That, that we have come to know, recognize is that's a holy person. Well, that's their aura. That's their spirit. That's their energy field. We all have that. We all are holy people. The, inter- the, the analogy, back to my analogies that I used for this is, imagine the energy of the body, the energy of the spirit. The spirit is the power source for the body, right? So you've got the spirit, the body's inside the spirit, and then there's a membrane around it that I call the energy field membrane. That's the container that holds the energy that makes up the body and the spirit. It's all holographic. My analogy for this is imagine going to a pet store to buy a goldfish. They're going to put it in a plastic bag of water in order for you to get it home. Well, if you have a picture of that in your mind's eye, the fish represents our body. The water represents our spirit because the body is inside the spirit and the plastic bag represents the energy field membrane. So that vortex that forms above the head as the person is dying, again, if it's instant, if it's prolonged, it doesn't matter. That's what helps the body separate from the spirit. And when the spirit goes through that vortex and isn't attached to the body anymore, the body doesn't work because it's the power source for the body. Mm. So that's why, why somebody will die when their spirit and their body separate. Wow. So do you, so that kind of like flips around what a lot of us assume right we kind of assume like the body gives out first right and then the spirit leaves but you're kind of saying the spirit already starts its journey yep. and then once the spirit goes off then the body's like all right well we're our service is no longer stops. needed here yeah, yeah really good good point and then an, another point from a medical standpoint i've sold lots of electrodes back in the day when i was a hospital supply sales rep And what are they measuring when they're doing an EKG or an EEG? They're measuring the energy outside of the body with electrodes. And you can see the heartbeat or you can see the brain waves or whatever on the monitors. So that energy field, and there's there's all kinds of photography that shows that people's energy fields or their aura can extend out in in a big way around a person's body. So it's, it's really interesting, but yeah, you bring up a really good point. The spirit leaves the body and that's when the body stops working, detaches from the top of the head. I find it interesting that the, the spirit stays attached to the body at the top of the head while the person is going through these phases of transition. And then it's kind of like the last, the last exit is to go up through the vortex. What do you think happened? Because this happened with my ground, but I know this has happened. You know, my my uh, husband is actually a surgeon, so I hear a lot of stuff about what goes on in the hospital and stuff. And you know, two days I want to say before my grandma actually passed, she coded in the middle of the night, and they brought her back. Mm-hmm. And it was actually after they brought her back that she had like a bit of that little disgruntled attitude. Um, which I always was curious if like, and I'm, I don't know what that, what, but there was part of me was like, oh, did she like touch something? And then was like, why'd you bring me back? Do you, which I, I don't necessarily think that it is what it is, but I'm curious being someone that's also involved in the medical field. Do you feel like, are there times where like the, the transition is happening and medical intervention can kind of pause it or delay it? Absolutely. Yes. And at the same time, it's that spirit's prerogative to stay a little bit longer. Mm. So the person is trying to die and then medical intervention brings them back. But if they didn't want to come back, they wouldn't. So how I perceive it is it kind of is easing the family into, all right, this is, this is train is getting ready to leave the station here. And get your get your luggage get on board 
or not, because this is what's happening. So it's just kind of an alert, I think. And, and in the case of NDEs, I've certainly read and listened to many stories about that. It sometimes, every time, there is normally a profound effect that increases the spirituality of the person that experiences that. And sometimes it'll be that they'll change their lives or they'll they'll start paying more attention to the spirit world or they they read everything they can get their hands on because before they just were agnostic and they didn't they just were like yeah whatever but then they saw it and they say okay i can't make that up that was yeah. just too too real oh yeah i i love watching all the ndes i'm like oh it's so fascinating and you know it's funny cuz i um ironically I think because of my my like during this the whole process when she because you went to the hospital for a broken hip right so it wasn't like an obvious we were worried obviously because whenever an older person goes into the hospital but it wasn't like an obvious like this is it kind of a thing you know the hip thing actually went really well and she got some weird um infection from the whatever tube they put in her during the surgery but um when she came, when I found out she coded and she came back, part of me was like, oh, well, she's staying. I've got a couple more years, right? You know, because I thought like, oh, for sure, like that was her moment, right? Because part of me, I guess, my, and, and it makes sense what you're saying now too, that it's also a gentle way to ease the family into it. Um, but I do think that's, the, that's just an interesting perspective because when we're talking about, you know, you choose when you go and all that stuff. It's not really our like conscious self. It's our soul. So it's not like me, Cassandra is like, not Tuesday, you know, like it's gotta be Friday or whatever, you know, it's, it's a, our soul that most likely even made that decision before we incarnated. Right. Well, yes and no free will comes into the equation as well. I, I don't get corroboration that we have a, an exit date and time. Yeah. I think that we, we choose when we're done, when we're done exploring whatever it is we're exploring, then we, we check out that your grandmother's ticket to ride was the infection that she got when she had her hip. Done. Yeah. Did she choose that 80 years ago? Probably not. Did she choose that when she had her hip done? And she thought, oh, you know, I could just, I could check out this way and it, it'd be easy and it'd be fine. It'd be acceptable to the family and it's going to hurt, but at least I can say goodbye and I can be with my loved ones and, and all of that. And, and so that's what she chose to do. One point about in the OR, and you may have enjoyed reading my chapter about what happens in the operating room. I made my husband read it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, my husband had a new knee put in last year and, and he actually had two done in four months. And the second one, I, I can scan somebody real time while they're in surgery. And I can tell you how many surgeons are in their room. I can read the anesthesia equipment. I can tell you the deceased loved ones that are room and all, and all of that. So his surgeon, I had given my book to with the first knee and I explained what I was doing and he was very gracious. So then the second time after the second knee comes to visit me in the waiting room, you know, after surgery, Tim's in the recovery room. And I said, you had to kind of Jerry rig that a little bit. You were having a little bit of problem getting that implant. in." I said, what was going on with that? And he just burst into <laughs> laughter and he said, you really could see what was going on in there. Right. And I said, yeah, I told you. And so he, he had a whole, totally different opinion of that, but we're our guardian angel that we have throughout all of our lifetimes is always over the head of anesthesia, which is at the head of the patient. And then deceased loved ones, spirits form a horseshoe at the foot of the OR table. And depending on how much prayer is being said, that's, there's always a correlation with how many spirits are in the room. It's really fascinating to see what's going on with that. And, and there are always surgeon spirits that are over the head of the surgeon. What kind of surgeon is your husband? Uh, he's a brain uh, neurosurgeon. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's going to have surgeon spirits that are going to be advising him 
during the procedure. And it's fascinating to watch. And I, I do it remotely now. Back in the day when I was in the OR, I could close my eyes for a minute and <laughs> see what's going on. And I can see it with my eyes open too. It's just, if there's a lot of light, it's just easier to close my eyes. And, yeah. And I have less distractions. Ah, that's what amazing. Did you, what did you say when you had him read that chapter? Oh, he 100% believes it. And and the 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 wild thing is is that when we first started dating he was like not open or no I wouldn't say open but he wasn't into any of this stuff right like it was couldn't be farther like just you know and he told me sometimes I would ask him like questions you know in early stages of dating kind of like you know and I'd be like so do you ever do you ever feel like you know, you just have like a feeling or an intuition or you wouldn't use that word necessarily, but do you ever have like an instinct of like, oh, this person might go or like, I have to do something or whatnot. And he told me, he would tell me of these stories that he hasn't had a lot of them, but a couple of times where he got this distinct knowing that if he didn't close up, the patient would die. And or like, it was like, I can't describe it because he uses like non-spiritual words, but like, it's clearly he was advised, right? And, and he has a lot of that where he's very tuned in to his intuition um, in general, but like, especially when he's operating and he'll just you know, he'll just say, he's like, I just, you know, I'll just know I have to do something that or feel, you know, um, to do something like that. And there'll be a few, a few things like that. Well, he'll be like, I don't know, like out of nowhere, it just like, was like, oh, we have to check that or like, look at the anesthesia or like, you know, whatnot. So he resonated a lot with that, with the, um, with the, the, the spirits. And I also made him watch some NDE stuff about how people didn't see what was going on in the, the surgery room. And he had a patient um, code actually, not while operating, but they um, they brought him on the table and he had an allergic reaction to the anesthesia before he even um, started doing anything. And um, and because he had watched all that stuff, he, he said the patient's name and was like, no, 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 get back in there, get back in there, we're not doing this, this is not going today, <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they were able to resuscitate the patient or whatever, but he was like, I don't know if I did anything, but I was like, all the stuff I watched with you, I figured it was worth a shot, and it was, exactly. he was watching from above, I wanted to let him know I wasn't taking no BS. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I did that uh, with, my, with my grandson when he was two and a half, he choked on a chicken nugget, and my husband was in Philadelphia. They live here in Birmingham. I was downtown. I was getting ready to give a talk. And my husband from Philadelphia, my stepdaughter had called her dad and he called me, he said, Max, that's the grandson who's now 15, big and bossy, way taller than I am. <laughs> but I tell him I'm still his boss. He just yeah, rolls his always. eyes. Always. So, so he said, Max is dying. EMS is on the way. He's purple. They don't think he's going to make it. And so I sat in the car before I was going in to give this talk and I got him on my radar. I said, Max Ryan named for me score for the wicked step grandmother. Right. I said, Max Ryan, you get back in your body right now. And he did his spirit was out of his body and he did. And then I was two blocks from children's hospital. So they got him revived. I was waiting on the loading dock when they brought the ambulance back in and they were backing in. Here's this sweet little thing. And he's sitting up on the gurney. He's got electrodes on his chest. And I started making faces and he goes, Mimi. And that's the first, that's the first thing he'd said since it all happened. And then one other funny story about that, when I, I was, we were there till really late early in the early the next morning, I went home, took a shower and came back and I walked into the ICU and the nurse said, are you Mimi? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, thank God. And I said, what? And she said, this child just keeps saying, where's Mimi? I need Mimi. Where's Mimi? And I didn't, I knew he was better the second day because he had rearranged all of his electrodes. He had him, he like took him on his chest and one on his ankle, one on the back of his knee, you know, he's moving him around. And they said, this kid needs to go home. 
Oh my God. Tell your husband that story. I said, you get back in your body right now. And he did. That is incredible. That is incredible. Oh, so much exciting stuff. I mean, oh man, I think it just, what an amazing gift that, and I love how you say that you've cultivated it because, you know, the, I follow medical medium and, you know, his story and, and, and all that. And he talks about, you know, spirit of compassion kind of just was like this thing that happened along his path, you know, and he kind of learned how to deal with it and finesse it and all that. Um, And I think it's really incredible to contrast that, um, compliment contrast that with your story of having this calling, being really interested in this, finding a book, kind of just kind of following what I call like the golden breadcrumbs, you know, and, and now how powerful your ability to tap in and tune in and see these things is just like absolutely incredible. Did you? Everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. I teach doctors. I teach medical providers. I teach entertainment industry people. I have Broadway, a Broadway star. I've got producers and directors and actors and plumbers and housewives and judges and lawyers. And it doesn't matter. Business people, teachers, 14 professors from all different specialties. And what they do is they learn this stuff, not just medical, they learn it all. And they learn to be able to communicate with spirit. And then they take it and they utilize it in their daily lives and to help others, help help teach others, help with, with the medical stuff, help with whatever. And, and we all have the ability and we're all gonna lose somebody and we're all gonna die eventually too. I find that there's a lot of information out there about the afterlife, about near-death experiences, but not much about what happens when people are dying. And that's what people are afraid of. Are they going to yeah. fly or are they going to fry? Yeah. You know, we've all been inundated with that. Yeah. And is it going to be painful or what is that? Is it going to be scary? Like, what is that whole process like? And I do think that that's like um, one of the real blessings and gifts of your book is to not only find, you know, feel more peace about anybody in your life that you may have lost um, or may lose in the future, but also around your own passing, right? You know, in that I remember, you know, I have no desire to die anytime soon, but <laughs> I remember reading that and being like, wow, this is going to be really cool when it happens. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a really epic experience when, you know, it is my time, whenever that may be. Um, and I want to let all of our listeners know that you have very generously offered um, to gift them a book. So, if anybody would like, and I suggest that all of you take advantage of this because I can't think of a single person who this book wouldn't be helpful with. Um, and if you have anyone who has had someone pass recently, this is also like a really, um, it's a really great gift, I think, to send them if you don't know really the words to say, to be like, hey, you know, I heard this, I thought of you, just read it in your own time. And it's a really beautiful gift. Um, so we'll put all the links for you to access and grab that book below. Um, and is there anything else, Julie, that you'd like to leave us with? Well, just everything's at askjulieryan.com. Follow me on Instagram. Everything's at askjulieryan, all my social media. Instagram, we post there all the time. The books, angel messages, um, for kids, angelic attendance. This is the grown-up book, and then we have, I have angel messages for kids, angel messages for cats, and angel messages for dogs. And these are for little children, who they're picture books, and they're darling. The illustrations are darling, and it it talks about you know cats like to jump up on the table and steal treats, and cats like to climb trees, and oh, when your cat dies. It's spirit's going to leave its body, but you can still communicate with it. And a cat has a spirit and a body and they decide who the family is that's going to love them. So it starts the conversation for little people because children can see spirits and communicate with spirits. They start shutting it down about the age of seven. And I've had so many moms over the years say, can you please write something 
that will help me explain to my child how they're able to talk to my deceased grandfather who's been dead for 25 years. And he knows, and my child knows things about my grandfather, there's no way they would know. And how, how can I explain to my child that, yeah, my, my grandmother died and she's in heaven and the three-year-old saying, no, mommy, she's asleep in that box up there because they're at the funeral home. And then how does a child know information about past lives and has historical data that can be corroborated? And this kid can't read yet. And so that's where the children's books came out. So just go to AskJulieRyan.com, the Ask Julie page. Just say, hey, I heard you on Cassandra's show. I'd love a copy of your book. We'll send you the digital and the audiobook version. And if you have little kids or grandkids, say I'd like a copy of your, one of your, you know, the dog, the cat, the kid, all three, whatever. And we'll send you a digital copy. You're welcome to buy the paperbacks. You're right. It's a great funeral gift. Most, uh, most, a lot of churches and synagogues around the country are giving this book to families who come in to plan a funeral. My parish, my Catholic church does that. Every family that comes in gets a copy of these books. And if they have kids or grandkids, they get a copy of the children's books. Oh so my I God, hear that's amazing. From, I hear from churches and synagogues and they'll say, we need a hundred of your books. Can we have a deal? And I'll say, yeah, I'll get you a deal. And so that's incredible. Oh my yeah. God. Talk about creating a new world, a new paradigm of how we yeah. approach, you know, our loved ones moving on. Oh my God. That makes me so happy. And I hope if there's anyone listening here, if you have a church or a synagogue or a place of, you know, worship that you go to, I think that's a great, you know, connect them with Julie's people so you can, you know, get, I mean, that's just, that's so beautiful. I love that. Ah, Julie, the work you're doing is just absolutely incredible and really pioneering a whole new way of how we look at death and life <laughs> um, because they're two sides of, you know, the same coin. And just thank you so much for your time today. I know we went a little bit over. Thank you for your generosity with offering your books to the listeners for, you know, humoring me with doing a, a mini medical intuitive reading and for really, you know, going in, in depth and in this beautiful um, transition process that you've been able to tap into. Just thank you so much. It's a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate being asked and it's lovely to be with you and all your listeners. Bye everybody. Sending you love from Sweet Home Alabama. Woohoo! <laughs>